0: Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhop. Tamsin and Dan read the paper on Wednesday, January 31st. Oh, really? 31st? Yeah. Happy birthday, Sarah, my sister.
1: Oh, happy birthday.
0: And Groundhog Day is just a couple days away. Great. And it will be my brother Steed's birthday.
1: Okay, good. Thing.
0: So I hope everybody's having a great birthday week. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, not bad weather, I'll say that. No, the weather's not bad. The weather's no, not No bad. rain, no snow. All right, but it's still wet. But yeah,
2: it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I have no complaints about the weather. So, um, we went back to New York again. You know, that's the kind of people we are. We had... Why you stop saying this? I don't even know what that means. We're, we're always on the go. We're always on We're the always go. going to the big city. And, um... Yeah, we took New Jersey Transit
0: we'll come back to that in a minute. No, we but rarely go to the big city. Can we yeah, We're going to the big city yeah. because it's January. Okay. We're going right. to the Big no City. No one's there. Go- also that's when Encore is when on. we sneak in.
2: Encore we'll series in. is during these months. And we saw Once Upon a Mattress. Now the Encore series, of course, is the series in which they put on three shows a year which are revivals of shows that were put on 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Not full-on, full-scale revivals, but revivals which are only supported by 10 days of rehearsals. Sometimes people carry scripts that are generally not, not fully costumed, featuring primarily the music, uh, and shows that don't warrant a full revival. So they're your uh, B-plus shows, in some people's minds, is that one way to do it. And uh, and it's always a lot of fun. There have been some great productions, and some of them have become... It's always a lot of fun. It's always a lot On of fun. On this it's
0: very podcast, we have complained bitterly... You do. You're the about complainer. About some of the performances. I am
2: positive about this. Though. Not
0: really. I can think... Not in the privacy. I would say
2: fairly 85% of them oh, are please.
0: super good. Oh, in, please. In any event, <laughs> in any event... It's so, generally interesting. No, it's always okay. always very good, and we, it, you, you learn something. So they they put on,
2: Once Upon a Mattress, which is a show. Are you
0: interviewing with them or something?
2: I'm telling you, it's a show that was uh, first put on like in 1960 or something like that.
0: 1959.
2: We, oh, I'm way off. 1959.
0: Yeah, everybody at my uh, preschool was talking about it. Is that right? No, <laughs>
2: I don't know. I didn't go to preschool with you. 1959, when you were just a little girl. Uh, And it's the uh, musical comedy version of The Princess and the Pea, uh, written by uh, Mary Rogers, the daughter...
0: The music is by Mary
2: Rogers. Yes. uh, The daughter of Richard Rogers, the famous Richard Rogers. Uh, And Mary's... This is Mary's show. And um, you, of course... Famously read the biography of Mary Rogers. Oh, it's I guess her it's an autobiography. It's her, yeah, yeah, it's her memoir by her and Jesse Green, the Times Reviewer, oh, and right. it's called "Shy." Shy being the name of the number one song in "Once Upon a Mattress." So that's all the exposition that lays it out for you.
0: Not really.
1: Okay. The original
0: show. Yeah. The main character, the princess. Yes. The role was originated by. Good. Cal Burnett. Right. Okay, who was at the tender age of twenty six? Okay, so they say. Right. Okay, and it's a wildly and lead. The, there was a revival. I don't, when was the revival? In know, the nineties or something? Twenty five uh, years ago. Um, yeah, yeah Where that years. role was played by Sarah Jessica
2: Parker. Right, she was thirty.
0: And and and, uh, and it's a show. It's it's broadly
2: comic, uh, musical, and the uh, the heroine protagonist is uh, wacky, and it's almost... Well, it's all physical humor. A lot of it's physical humor. Uh,
0: you know, if you've seen the Carol Burnett show, you know A lot know of jumping around, about. yes. Um, Very well suited
2: to
1: Carol but Burnett. But
0: it's a much beloved show, it turns out. Yeah. It's a show I don't know at all, but apparently everybody and their brother has put it on in middle school, high school, summer camp. Theater camps. Uh, et cetera. And
2: it was written at a theater camp.
0: Uh Because that's oh, like an adult, theater an adult theater
2: camp that Mary Rogers or that with a bunch of her friends, and they said let's put on a show, and they wrote.
0: No, it wasn't that they at all, wrote, It was not that at all. They wrote this for their friends. They're, they had parts for people. They knew. She had a job at, these, at one of these camps in the Catskills where she worked for the a guy who puts together yeah. entertainment. was like Tamiment or something like that. I think that was it. Yeah, and. Um, And so, I mean, a lot of professionals are there. And in fact, it kind of guides the way the show was written. In a way, it was kind of a review. It was various numbers and various characters invented to display the talents of the performers who were up there. So you'll see soft shoe because there is an older guy who does a good soft shoe is written into it, right. etc. It's It's born... That's my point. ...in this yes, summer camp. Yes, that's right. But you made it sound like it was a bunch of kids who no, got no, together... No, 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 no. ...and were writing it, you no, know. No, and... no, it's a bunch of
2: uh, 20-year-olds or so, usually a little bit older, who were out of their mind on drugs and alcohol, uh, putting this show together. Is that a fair description?
0: I, I, I wouldn't put it exactly that way, but... but uh, there's something to I, that. I will say it was written by... Young adults. Yes. Well, I mean, I think you told me you read Shy. It was a lot Okay. Of, you need to read it as well before you comment um, Okay. All right. Fine. Before you quote. All right. So, what did you think of the show? I didn't really get that much out of it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm not a Carol Burnett humor person. Um, well, we so don't. Well, stop for a second. Carol Burnett wasn't in the show. I understand, but it was still that style right. but we ought of to jump comedy.
2: In here. There's one reason they put the show on it stars Sutton Foster. Sutton Foster took the, the protagonist role, the princess role, the Carol Burnett role. Sutton Foster is one of the big, big, big names on Broadway in terms of musical comedy. That's what gets this show off the air, on, onto, the, onto the boards. Uh, she's a star.
0: And she's terrific. And she's She terrific. is terrific. And she is peppy. Right. As everyone says. Athletic. Very then. peppy. Unbelievable athletic. So she's in there playing a role. She's fully committed. She's almost 50. And she's playing a role that uh, was originated right, by girls in their 20s and 30s. Right. You know? um, so, you know. She gives it her kudos all. Kudos to her. Right. And, and, and the show's no good.
2: <laughs> uh, and I don't mind saying that. And it, it, the Times gave it a so-called critics pick. Shame on the Times. Now, it, it doesn't make much difference. They only played for a couple of weekends. It's playing through the beginning of February. That's the way Encores works. So it's not like anybody's relying heavily on these reviews for purchasing tickets. But the show's no good. And uh, the, you know, Sutton Foster notwithstanding, Harrison Gee is great. He plays the jester in it. Uh, No one else is very good particularly, but they're okay. Uh, But uh, the material is so thin and so weak that uh, you're kind of like yawning. You know, what the heck is going on?
0: Well, they pepped up the material, the book, a little bit.
2: They yes. had... Uh, Amy
0: Palladino worked
2: on it. Right. From the Gilmore Girls. Right. And Mrs. Maisel. Right. A pro. Right. Mm. She
0: knows something about comedy.
2: Didn't work. Didn't work. I don't know what she knows about comedy. But you
0: know, like, you get... It wasn't funny. No. But, again, Sutton Foster was great, except that her intensity was yeah. of such a level that it made you nervous about, it. you know, it was like, uh, see, 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 isn't this great? Isn't this great? Isn't this great? Because
2: there's nobody, Marie Curie couldn't have succeeded in this role.
0: Oh, you know, it was really funny. What? What's her name? Harriet Harris?
2: Yes. She was great. Uh, and she, she was great. the She played queen. the queen. And we've seen and, her in a bunch of things. Yes. Yeah, she, and she's she a veteran great. actress. Right. And she wrung every laugh out of that part. Right. And she was not singing really so much as she was doing dialogue. Uh, and she was great. Yeah, the music's not very good. Uh, just to add a little log Some to the fire. Some people think the music Nobody is thinks that. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> nobody with any taste thinks that. I mean, look, somebody had, had a good experience with this when they saw it when they were 18, and they're uh, reminiscing. Super. But the, the, the show isn't any good. I'm not really hurting anybody's feelings here. I don't think anyone seriously thought the show was any good. It, it is encores. As you said before, sometimes you put on something because it's interesting, because people want to see it. Uh, it gives you a sense of what things were like in 1959. It uh, starts a conversation about Carol Burnett. You know, it, it's funny, because I was listening to the Broadway channel on Sirius Radio, and Seth, Seth Rudetsky, uh, the main guy there, was talking about this. And he said, um, when they first saw, he, he was in a production of Greece a long time ago, at least he was the music director. And one of the stars of that production of Greece was uh, Hunter Foster, and Hunter Foster got uh, involved, his sister Sutton, as an understudy uh, to one of the parts, and when she came as this uh, young girl playing a part once in a while, they all laughed and they said she's like another Carol Burnett. That was their impression a million so years ago.
0: somebody waited too long. <laughs>
2: This would have been the same as she did it thirty years ago.
0: I mean it, the, the material's not there. And and, and it's not so, it's not helping the passage of the But time. I will say Yeah, right. It was it looked to be a full house. It was a full house. Which is not always the case. It was filled. filled. And uh, very positive audience. Very positive water. reaction. Uh, uh, yeah. very much uh, looking forward to it. And I think that is because people know the show, love the show, maybe saw the revival. Yeah. Sarah, I mean, they two words. Remember Sarah?
2: There's just two cool. words for it. But Sutton Foster. Sutton yeah. Foster. They know Sutton Foster is a star. Look, I, I said to yeah. you, when the people went crazy at the end, what did I say to you? I said, imagine if these people saw South Pacific. They would be out of their minds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know about that.
2: I do. I All mean, right. look, whatever it is, it, it's fine. It's encores. You take it. I don't mind if an encore show is like this. I don't mind if an encore show is like I would have hoped for better. But I don't mind. Because, you know, they're not selling you that we've got a great show here and saying this is interesting you might want to see this
1: mm-hmm. and that's okay mm-hmm. and, and so,
0: so but anyway we had a good night we right. had also been to dinner once again at uh, port so beloved eight. port say well, we're regulars there we're regulars All right and this time we ordered the chicken livers which was a the, lot of chicken liver they give you a lot of chicken it was liver. like at least Three to four dollars worth of the chicken, chicken livers, which is more than a human
2: being. Can eat.
0: Uh, yeah. which is a huge pile. Yeah. Um, but we actually ran out of time and couldn't have dessert, which was a shame. Uh, then um, I will say that the the next day, while well, you went and did some law work, yeah, shockingly enough, uh, I went to the uh, Morgan Museum and Library. Yeah. and really had a super time. You know, it's a great little museum and uh you know and they have a terrific gift shop full of books full of interesting books and cards and everything related to that kind of stuff it was it was uh, very enjoyable And, and i
2: understand they have a very nice cafeteria
0: well, it wasn't exactly a cafeteria. They have a little uh, cafe.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And, uh... Well, you got
2: yourself a nice bottle of beer and, uh...
0: It was non-alcoholic
2: oh, beer. No, that's okay. I had my... That's all know, right.
0: I was paying attention yeah. to the art, which, yeah. by the way, I went to the Tiepolo show. Ah, Which Tiepolo. had father and son... As one does, yeah.
1: Well,
0: okay, I'm not going to go into it, but out of nowhere, I'm not even a Tiepolo fan. Yeah.
1: You know,
0: and I um, actually... Uh, had a great time looking at uh, drawings, drawings largely. So that was a lot of fun. And on the way back to the train, so I was meeting you at Penn Station. So um, actually, the Morgan Library is not far from Penn Station. On route to Penn Station, I walked through Macy's. I haven't walked through Macy's hmm. in many, many years.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, that's a big store. Yeah. It's got That's big, really quite a big You know what the big store. sign outside the store says? What? The world's largest department store. They might be right. <laughs> they might be right. They might be. It was really... I forgot what a big department store is like. It takes you a know, city black. I sit, sit at home. It I sit at home with the <laughs> iPad looking at you know what's for sale on Amazon yeah. or the two or three catalogs. Right. And uh, you forget what yeah. store shopping is like. And yeah. then, and also... It does seem to be, you know, when when we're out here in the boonies and you go to a Macy's at the mall or something, it ain't much, you right. know. Even yeah. the inventory is not that much, right? Who goes? And there. there's nobody working there. But you, you go to New York, it's a big time, baby.
2: Well, it's it's so different. It brought Especially back memories. The main floor, as you pointed out to me, the main floor is a lot of uh, perfume products, and they and those. What's interesting about that is. They're little spaces that are really staffed by the perfume companies themselves. So it's quite different from what you normally see at the mall. Now you see a lot of people working there trying to sell those products because they're attached to those products. So it's a very different atmosphere.
0: But here's my question. What's that? Why do those people with the sprays never spray me? They never spray you? Well, I give them the look of death. Then you answered your question. What are, you, what are you asking me for? But in lots of circumstances, you do that. People come charging up to you anyway. No. These, these people, you know, scattered yes. a, <laughs> as I pounded my way you're through. You're this
1: mean
2: lady coming through. They know. They know.
0: I want that stuff. They've
2: they, 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 they uh, they've heard. They've heard about it. Anyway, that's so. a
0: big story. Okay. All right. Should we move on? I wonder they have enough money to put on a parade. Yeah. So, Should we move on? Yeah.
2: Let's move on. Okay. You're up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, you did want to mention uh, uh, Days of Wonder Roses opened, and as I we did, predicted, uh, yeah. as we predicted, it got a great review. But you know,
0: critics pick critics. It's pick. still, uh, you know, it's I a tough, don't know. tough subject. There. And well, worth mentioning again. It's Mary Rogers' son writing oh, the there's music. Right? You know, yes. there's a little connection. We have a long I history suspect, of. Um, I suspect you know. the music is... Well, the connection,
2: too, is this, frankly. Uh, you're going to stop me, but... Uh, substance abuse. Right. So it, it is about substance abuse. Adam From Richard Gattel, to Mary to well, Adam. Was, slow down. Adam Gattel, who wrote uh, the music for Days of Wine Roses, says, without getting into too much detail, he had a substance abuse problem. Mary Rogers had a substance abuse problem, and Richard Rogers had a substance abuse problem. So you have that.
0: I'm not quite sure Mary thought it was a problem, but she right. was into substance abuse. Yes, yes.
2: She abused substances. Or
0: she functioned. And Richard
2: Rogers, what you always see is they say he used to hide uh, liquor bottles by the toilet or in the toilet tank. So everybody says, oh, that's that. All right. So um, Sports Illustrated, as widely reported, is going out of business. And now perhaps it's not. Maybe someone's going to buy it. But it doesn't really make much difference because the Sports Illustrated as it exists today is not what it was years ago. So it might as well have gone out. And, uh, I mean, it's barely a, a print publication. It's online. It's nothing like what it used to be, which is fine. It's just a march of time. But it, the announcement that it was going out of business, uh, which might have been premature, uh, sort of generated all these articles about how much it used to mean to be able to read Sports Illustrated years ago, and in particular, what it meant to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And that all resonated with me. Because my experience was exactly the same as, what, as, as the experience of a lot of folks who wrote, reminiscing, that you would, uh, everyone understood if you were a certain age, and especially perhaps if you were a boy of 10 years old, that uh, Sports Illustrated sort of uh, went to print on a Sunday night or Monday morning, that they put in the mail on Tuesday, that you would get it on Thursday, and you would look in your mailbox on Thursday for your subscription issue with Sports Illustrated, and you would devour it. And as, It
0: seems all like a fairyland.
2: And they have a quote from Nate Gordon, a former picture editor of Sports Illustrated. He said everyone's reaction was, man, this is what happened last week? That's cool. <laughs> Which is about right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they have some great writers. there, great writers. And I think uh, I certainly benefited by reading these writers. There's some very long pieces. Um, you know, Dan Jenkins, uh, folks like that. Um, just fantastic. Um Frank DeFord. Uh, But uh, the article I'm looking at now focuses on the cover, is how much it meant to be on the cover and how powerful it was to be on the cover. And, you know, we used to even uh, joke, you and I, I don't know if you remember, you know, when Sports Illustrated came and we subscribed for a while, I would just say For a while? I think, not for a while. Forever. Okay. And I would say to you, what did I say to you every week? I said, Am I on the cover? Am I on the cover? And but you
0: also taught me that... Uh, I was never th- on the cover. Th- there's, no, but there's also... There's a uh, curse with being on the cover. There is a curse with so being So I on... was always thankful, oh, you right. know? I thought, he's going to be on the cover. It'll be the end of his career.
2: Well, yeah, the guy would get hurt next week or something like yeah. that. There was a little bit of that. And, and they have a bunch of covers here, and the so-called iconic covers. And it's, it's not worth going through them and... Uh, And I don't know that I regard all of
0: them as iconic. It's interesting you say the word iconic. Why is that? Because actually when I would lecture in art history, and I would be teaching the students about icons and attributes and uh, learning to read paintings by understanding what certain symbols mean and what different things indicate, I would use a sports illustrated cover yeah. in the PowerPoint. Well, and I would say, you know, they'd had some football player up there. And I say, well, you know, um, if you're from Mars or something, uh, you probably have no clue what this guy is. Right. But in our American culture, we understand immediately he's a football player by looking at his uniform. Mm-hmm. It tells us that. Uh, we probably, some of us might know what his position probably is. Let's say if he has a low number, it's, you know, he's probably a quarterback. Um, We may know because of the colors, you know, Mm. do the colors mean anything? Do we just like this color? No, that color references, you know, what team he plays for. So this whole series of contextual clues into, you know, that you only understand if you're part of this uh, culture, this society, uh, et cetera. So, you know, it was... A very key thing, and I would compare it to um, medieval illuminated manuscripts and the illustrations right. there and how monks or whoever would read those could read those in the way that boys could read the cover of the Sports Illustrated and know what they were seeing. Well, I mean, I think so the, it's, the two it, covers... any long tradition of, uh, you know, graphic
2: design. Well, I was just going to say the two covers that demonstrate that point, the best are the two which have no writing on them at all. I mean, many of the covers do when they say uh, Big Home Run, uh, you know, The Incredible So-and-So. Uh, but there are two covers, and they're the most striking covers, and I think that's in line with what you're saying. It's the cover they have in 1954 with just a full-on shot of Mickey Mantle just staring at the young Mickey Mantle. And it somehow conveys all this in a way that's hard to understand. And the other example happens to be the cover which the photograph from uh, the American ice hockey team uh, celebrating the miracle on ice victory over the Soviet Union. There's no words there. It's just, I'm showing you there, you, you just see, you don't need any explanation. You right. Just pick up on all the clues you're just talking about. Right.
0: Yeah. But you need to know, that's it's, an American team, yeah. it was a victory, It was hockey but playing. The cover, yeah.
2: But it's everything about Sports Illustrated and it's readers and, and the power of those photographs. Uh, it kind of resonates. So, in any anyway, event, yeah. it's too bad, but it's a time gone by, so there's nothing we can do yeah, about it. Yeah,
0: and you know, things uh things age out. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: All right, so go ahead. What do you got? Not aging out yeah. yet. Yeah. Hallmark movies. Oh, it's just the opposite. It's uh, just there's the an opposite. Article in the New York Times that actually says that uh, Hallmark, um, the Hallmark channel is currently ranks. Uh, The third most watched channel beating out in terms of eyes on the screen, uh, CNN and MSNBC.
1: As it should. Uh, Okay. So it was, you know,
0: a relatively fun article about, um, you know, suddenly we, uh, you know, rom-coms seem to be the most important thing in American lives. You know, that's what uh, people really
1: Mm.
0: ache for. In fact... uh, you know um at the end uh um the uh, she mentions that uh, what she says um uh, oh she she the author daniel smith discusses uh, a merry scottish christmas mm-hmm. okay which we saw advertised mm-hmm. uh when we were watching uh various shows uh during the christmas season we never did get to watch it mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, I I could see watching these Scottish Christmas, uh, well, especially c- while I'm making Christmas cookies or something. Sc- one of the most anyway, popular movies, the most watched movie of 2023. Is that right? Yes. The most watched. Hmm. Um, And they say the demographics of the women watching are in key advertising categories as opposed to the crotchety, cane shaking NCIS fans. Oh, great. Um, I I won't point any fingers there. That tells you something. It's, uh, I guess, you know, Hallmark Hall of Fame uh, is what we're familiar with growing up. With, okay, I and those said,
2: were the classic television shows. Those right. were the number
0: one, right? So high-brow I, I mean, you know, shows. back in the day, I mean, you start out with postcards and greeting cards, and then they segue into these television shows, etc. It's not till 2009 that they get into the Hallmark of Christmas and really, yeah. But I think people, were,
2: it's worth noting, the Hallmark Hall of Fame series was as highbrow as television was when I was growing up. There was a series I would, of dramas. Yes. Absolutely. You know, they had to, like Inherit the Wind, they'd have their right. own production,
0: right. you
2: know, stuff they like that. They were
0: not rom-coms. No. It, it was serious
2: stuff. Serious stuff, but it done very well. You know, done you very Hal well. Holbrook, you know, doing his uh, Mark Twain thing. Uh, oh.
0: Did that for homework. Hallmark, Hallmark-Holbrook yeah. hmm. Um Yeah. And uh, then she described a little bit uh, of uh, now they're focusing on um, Love You well 2024 okay, so trying to you know
2: well that's just the promotion things,
0: but, yeah but uh, uh, you know the head of the head of the um channel said he's not going to get really excited oh. until they hit some uh walking dead numbers Well,
2: you know well yeah that will be something but one of the comments was from someone who said you know i make these movies and i'm proud of these movies Right. And, uh, you know, years ago when the Hollywood had uh, the famous Hollywood system where people were under contract and they churned out movies every week with contract players, you know, no one took those movies seriously. But now they do. Those are movies by people like John Ford. Those movies are taken quite seriously. Maybe years from now people will take these movies seriously.
0: Well, I I bet people will have their favorites, their beloveds that they'll see over and over and yeah, over again. Yeah, watch, even though they're
2: 30 yeah, years old. That they're yeah. not... They're not so slight and so superficial that you would expect they only be watched during one year. I mean, they'll, they'll survive. All right. They're not so bad. They're not so bad. I have nothing against Well, started. I just,
0: you know, uh, looking at it from a business point of view, I mean, uh, you know, again, well, business, kudos to
2: them. Yeah, you can't argue with a business point of view. But it is an interesting story to go from some Christmas cards to greeting cards more broadly to... To Hallmark Hall of Fame to uh, the Hallmark Channel it's quite a journey over a hundred years
0: it's also interesting that uh, you know I mean this writer's contention that this is what we all crave
2: well you know it's funny at,
0: at the moment this is the comments A lot of the comments said well I know the
2: article is written tongue-in-cheek but and I'm saying I don't know if the article written tongue-in-cheek I wasn't quite
0: sure a little bit she, she gets kind of yeah well, snarky at the end well yeah she was trying to be funny but
2: uh Uh, It's hard to really get past the popularity. You can't dismiss it. All right. So just briefly, there's an article about hockey players. Sometimes players don't mind a bit of a language barrier. So it turns out that, and I never thought about this, that the sport where you have the biggest issue with respect to language and the players from different cultures who speak different languages is the National Hockey League. Uh, Maybe you've thought about that. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But uh, you have hockey players who come from uh, the U.S., from Canada, from France, from Sweden, from Finland, uh, from Russia,
0: and from the Czech Republic. Yeah, well, when I watch hockey with Sadie, she's always telling me, you know, she has a lot of little anecdotes yeah. about uh, the various players. It very yeah. often has to do with their uh command of English, or lack thereof, right. and just say, you know, this guy seems very grim, you know, he's got a reputation, you know, this kind of, uh, I don't know, antisocial. Yeah. But he's Finnish. When he speaks in Finnish, he's the life of the party. Well, they do you
2: say know, here, like that. so they interview these various people, they say, look, you know, I manage, I'm, um, I'm uh, Russian, and I managed to learn enough English that I can fit in, but frankly, um, I can talk English. This is a quote from Evgeny uh, Dardenov. He says, "I can talk English, but I act a little different in Russian. i uh, myself more. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and many of these folks are multilingual. Although they have one funny story about a player from France who uh, goes to the trouble of uh, learning English, and then he gets to the NHL. He's on Quebec." Uh, no, no, no. This is not right. No, 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 no. I'm going to get it wrong. He's Russian. He goes to trouble of learning English. He goes to Quebec and they all speak French. Right. They don't speak English. And he's like he at a complete that. loss. Yeah. Uh, Somebody should have told him. Well, he eventually ends up in a team that's, that's outside Well, of you know,
0: that's interesting because uh, I always think of um, the book David Sedaris' yeah. book. Yeah, Me Speak Pretty Someday. Yeah. I think is what it is. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, One or two of the essays, I think, is really about him taking French in France, Mm -hmm. and how when you speak another language and you're not particularly good at it, you seem like an idiot. Yeah. You could be the smartest person in the Mm -hmm. world, Mm -hmm. but you seem like a real dolt Mm -hmm. because you're you're not using the grammar properly, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and so forth. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure that's how some of these players seem, you know, in their own language, they're suave, right, debonair, right, hilarious. Right. And uh, in English, they seem, you know, at a loss. Well, they do it the opposite side of it, though. The other side of it is they, have, they, have article, they write
2: about this fellow named Pierre Edouard Belmar. And he's from France. And he comes into the league. And, uh, well, he actually had a stop before he gets to the NHL, which is in a Swedish league. And at that point, he spoke French and, and some English. And now he, he's in a Swedish league. He doesn't speak any Swedish, and he says, "Oh my God!" And his mother says, "This will be great. You'll be trilingual." And he said uh, his mother was right. So now he's considered a little bit of a valuable commodity because whenever he's traded to a team, he can talk to the Swedish players. Everybody, he can talk to uh,
0: <laughs> well, French, everybody. English, a lot, a lot.
2: <laughs> That covers a wide swath. I mean, it's got the three different languages. Are there that there?
0: many Swedish players? Well,
2: there are. There aren't that In the many French. Other? There aren't that many French. But there are,
0: yes, there are a lot of Swedish but players. Imagine if he could learn Russian. Imagine, there, nice. there are a lot of Russian There are a lot right? of
2: Russian. And the Russians usually speak English, but uh, they don't speak French. They work it out somehow. There's also some some subtext to a lot of this. He says, there's a tremendous Swedish-Finnish rivalry. So if you get the Swedes and the Finns on the same team, you've got to work through that. And he says, they're kind of good-natured about it, but they're giving each other, you know, a hard time right away because uh, – in a funny way. But uh, anyway, it's interesting, and, and it sounds like the GMs actually think about this when they put players on the team or who they seek to get. They have an example of another situation with a young Russian player and they uh, didn't speak any English, and they brought in a Russian player who was very good in English just to play with this guy for two years to help him develop, and they traded that, that UFO to another team because that's part of what you have to manage in terms of the locker room. So,
0: right. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, Oh, Well, here's a subject near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. NJ Transit. NJ Transit, yes. So, an announcement has gone out from uh, Governor Murphy.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. That uh, NJ Transit is doing so well, has improved so much, that uh, they're going to raise the fares by 15%. Right. Okay. But that doesn't quite cover it, all right, it's not just that fares will go up 15%. They're also getting rid of certain kinds of fares, like the Flex Pass. um, And they have, you know, well, anyway, let me just say, the um, riders are livid. They're livid. And it turns out uh, that, you know, the um, service on NJ Transit hasn't really improved that much. And NJ Transit's own figures say that. Turns out he was quoting some award they got from the American Public Transportation Association. Um, he was interpreting it as being the best in the country right. and uh, really was like the most improved. Right. In, and in, they stopped the and now think yeah. a little less. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, so uh, there's this quote after quote after quote of uh, people saying, the service just absolutely stinks. Yeah. All right, the Governor Murphy should ride on. You know, should commute for a yeah. month. He and his wife should commute for a month and then uh, yeah. see what they uh, say about that. They have one guy who says my wife monthly flex pass yeah. is hundred and ninety eight. Yeah. With the increase and in the new, you know, ticket availabilities, her um, commuting cost per month will go up to four hundred and six. That doesn't sound right, but
2: look, I don't know. I don't know what they should charge, okay? I I can't be that. And I haven't been riding New Jersey Transit regularly for by now three or four years. Uh, I did ride New Jersey Transit regularly for 30 years, 30 some odd years. Uh, And I think fairly, it was the worst run organization and the most awful service Ever encountered in my entire life. They say the now.
0: buses are worse than the trains. They might be, but they're they're, they're both they're owned filthier, by New the Jersey trains. Awful it's all New
2: Jersey trains. Yeah, I, and uh, I mean it was so awful. Uh, I I don't remember, but I think I voted against Murphy just on that issue. Uh, I think he's in la la land on that issue. Uh, and I don't know what the solution is. It's hard to say. We'll fix it, or we'll have less money. I can't get into that. But here's the but, thing: here, here's the it, thing. Is I mean, it, really it is terrible. It really is
0: bad. It says, yeah. um, you know, that uh, they were aiming for a ninety-four point seven, you know, uh, percentage on time. Right. Okay. They've only achieved that yeah. three out of the thirty-six past months. Right. Okay. In comparison. Metro North has achieved that yeah. thirty-six out of thirty-six months. Yeah. Okay, LIRR twenty-five out of thirty-six months. Yeah. Okay, not only that, but in terms of breakdowns
1: yeah.
0: of uh, the, uh, the equipment, equipment yeah. all right. NJ sir, NJ Transit four hundred and fifty-five break. You know. Problems, in 2022 is the most recent numbers they have. Metro North compares that with 75. Okay. Yeah. Breakdowns. No, LIRR 97. Listen, I wrote it for 30 years. Andrew. It's brutal. I mean, how can I, they and, not... And when
2: I look at the comments, the comments, you know, are reflecting on the recent You're saying it's brutal, it's always been brutal, it's still brutal. I, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I, I'm sure it is. And... uh And always...
0: Well, where is all this money going? They they got billions. It's not
2: about money. I have no idea where the money is going, neither do you. We don't know. All I can say is this. The service is unbelievably bad. Now, it was unbelievably bad when Christie was governor also. It's always been bad. And I think it's because the governors don't care. Okay? They just don't care. There's no way they don't know. You couldn't not know. So yeah.
0: Well, uh, he, he clearly knows no, that, no, and he's, he's lying he, about and he, it. And he's lying about it.
2: Yeah. So he knows. They know. But they don't think it matters. That's all. Now, we can argue about well, why that is, but it, it's still a fact. So what can you say? I mean, and it's particularly remarkable that, it, that no one cares, given uh, the lip service you get to the idea about getting people out of their cars and raising the quality of mass transit and how important that mm-hmm. is to the environment. Nobody cares.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, explain to me why. Um, so, uh, Murphy has been complaining that the, um, you know, the uh,
1: congestion pricing,
0: the congestion pricing yeah. is an unfair tax on New Jersey, right. you know, commuters. Right. Right. Um, wouldn't he? welcome that if, that if that's the kind of thing that would Murphy's force people into using NJ transit more
2: Murphy's complaining only because he thinks we'll get him votes that's all you don't have to think about it beyond that If he's complaining of it, he's, he's complaining no. it's easy for him to stand on a soapbox and say I stand up for New Jersey people they should pay fewer taxes okay that's as far as that goes that, that's the deep thinking involved in that so uh, yeah there's nothing kind I can say about Murphy but you know probably nothing kind I can say about whoever opposes him so there you go.
0: Well, we're running out of football.
1: Now,
2: <laughs> the craziest thing, you know, and I'm not even going to get into this, the idea that Murphy's you know, supporting his wife to be a senator in New Jersey. That's, to me, insanity. You've heard about that.
0: Yes, but I wanted to talk about football. What do you want to say? I don't want to say anything about football right. because we're running out of it. We've okay. only got one more game, right? Yes. The big game, the Super Bowl, right. et cetera. And I think you rather enjoyed the playoff games. Yeah, the playoff games were yeah. good.
2: I mean, it's interesting watching a football because it's a different game than watching the Giants. I watch the Giants throughout the year. Uh, it's a higher level of football. <laughs> and you see players and you say to yourself, well, maybe the Giants could have won a couple more games, but they don't play like this. Yeah, and They don't have players like this. How can we get a player like that? And and it's interesting because it's, it's not just a matter of, oh, this is a quarterback taken first in the country. It's not that. are players play all kinds of positions. who play quite differently than the way the Giants players right. play. More is physicality. It just- uh, they catch the ball, they don't drop the ball, they run with purpose. It's a different game.
0: Is it all about the players or
2: yes, not the coaching? I don't know how much coaching goes into it. But uh, what strikes me more than anything is is players. You can't really say what's great coaching because there's great coaching on both sides of the ball. So, you know, that cancels each other out. It's not like I'm watching something and say they're, they're playing check, chess and the Giants are playing checkers. It's not that. It's the players. Now maybe coaching contributes to the development of players. I can't say, uh, but uh, it's something. It's something. Some of these guys are really impressive, and it's easy to see why uh, football is such a popular sport.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to end up watching basketball, I guess. No, you don't watch basketball. <laughs> I don't watch it much. Well, you, you watch the, the uh, March Madness. In it the won't
2: come around it. till right. April. So, right. Yeah. all right. So let's let's jump to uh, the Patty Milk story. Go ahead, taking oh. so. Oh. Yeah, go
0: ahead. I was working. I was working up. To Ed I've been Cooley. doing that whole segue. Well, I'll, and I'll, now I'll, we're going to. We're, here's what we're not
2: going to talk about. We talked about this before. <laughs> Ed Cooley was the coach of Providence. He left Providence to go to Georgetown basketball coach. It seemed unheard of. Why would you do that? There was no real explanation. And uh, we speculated at that time, very briefly, what's going to happen when he brings his Georgetown team to the Dunk, which is the uh, place, the uh, plestra, in which the uh, Providence team plays. He that's not that.
0: the dunk anymore, right? Yeah, I think it is. I thought I don't, they I sold don't, the rights. Maybe it's a different story. It's yes, a different know. story. Okay.
2: So it brought him to the dunk, and not only did he get booed unbelievably, but uh, there were uh, curses. It was uh, harsh. He was chanting horrible things at Ed Cooley. Uh, he tried Really? To smile.
0: Those lovely
2: <laughs> Rhode Islanders? Those uh, drunk students from Providence and the alum. I don't want to name the alums that we know, but you can see that happening. So it was quite a scene, but we don't have to dwell on that. Let's go go to your food article.
0: No, I'm not, I don't have a lot to say about this. It's just this big article about the patty melt. The patty. Do you know melt. what a patty melt is? Yes, I do. What is it?
2: It's a combination of a grilled cheese sandwich and a hamburger.
0: Okay, so it's a it's a ground beef patty. Yeah. On rye bread. Yeah. With uh, sautéed onions, caramelized onions, and a little bit of some kind of sauce, and some cheese. Right. And it's, you know, it's pretty tasty. I mean, I have ordered them. Now and then, you feel like a patty melt. It's a guilty pleasure. It's crispy, it's tasty. It's a guilty pleasure. And and so, apparently, Pete Wells uh, from the New York Times uh, likes them, too. And he's noticing that he, you know, of course, you can always get them at some diner or some little coffee shop but uh, they're turning up now in fancier places That's like the commerce inn mm. which is a restaurant uh owned and run by uh the two women we like Rita Soldi and uh, Jody Williams of Beer Corona and other places okay and uh you know they he even gives a recipe for wow. it it's, um, it's comfort food it's it's comfort food but um so you know I'm not sure if that, that really uh, says anything important. I, I'm about looking anything. forward to the patty melt you're making tonight. I'm not making patty
2: melts. Oh, tonight. don't say
0: that. that
2: no, that. don't sell yourself short. You might come through. You might surprise yourself.
0: So, so anyway, um, just you know, we like to uh, touch on. Okay, what are some food trends? Oh, okay.
2: well, Port Said patty is, melts is a little higher, juicy, higher delicious. Tone. Yes. All right, so finally, the one passing, Harry Connick Sr. died at the age of 97. So Harry Connick Sr., no surprise, is the father of Harry Connick Jr., the great singer. Uh, and Harry Connick Sr. also uh, was a singer who used to perform in the French Quarter every once in a while. Uh, but he was uh, more well known as the uh, district attorney in New Orleans, uh, where he was uh, reelected numerous times. So he was the long-standing district attorney there uh in there being New Orleans area where there's a fairly high crime rate uh and he came in with a very aggressive um uh, law enforcement uh program and uh he uh ended up generating a very large staff of over 200 lawyers and they went at uh all these cases in a very aggressive manner and they achieved quite a number of convictions and as a result quite a number of people ended up in jail but uh, it also sort of put a lid on uh, crime to some degree in New Orleans, and again, very much celebrated and appreciated by the populace who reelected him five or six times. Uh, but he turned out to be, in retrospect, in particular, a somewhat controversial figure because uh, a few of his cases, one in particular, which I'll get to, turned out to be a wrongful conviction. Uh, and uh, the one case I'm focusing on is there a fellow named John Thompson who spent 14 years on death row after being convicted uh, by one of the assistant DAs in Harry Connick's office. Uh, and uh, it turned out that uh, there was evidence that uh, was suppressed in the sense that the evidence in the DA's office was not shared entirely with John Thompson's defense team. And There's an obligation to share that evidence. And that evidence turned out to be somewhat exculpatory. And once that evidence came to light, he was retried and he was found innocent and he was released and taken off death row. Uh, We all read about that cases, those kind of things happening at the time. Every once in a while we see that. And uh, in this case, though, it became very prominent because what happened then was John Thompson sued uh, Harry Connick and the DA's office for compensation for 14 million dollars. Uh, or I don't know what he sued for, but he was awarded in the lower court $14 million of compensation. And that case went to the Supreme Court. And it turns out the standard to be compensated in those circumstances under New Orleans law was if there was a pattern of abuse uh, by the uh, convicting office, the DA's office. And the, uh, and there is a, a, a uh, an opinion uh, in which Ruth Bader Ginsburg excoriates Uh, the office in Harry Connick by name for, you know, a pattern of just such kind of abuse uh, which supports the verdict. Uh, And the Times lays this out. Um, And uh, that was, except that was a dissent. The Times does mention it, but uh, it was a dissent. The majority of the court found that there was no pattern of such abuse. uh, And the 14... A uh, 1000000 dollar verdict was voided, um, but in any event, it put Harry Connick Jr. in the in the uh, crosshairs of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And by that point, by the way, he was six years out of office. But it was you know you can imagine the publicity that came out of that, right. and people who look at his office now quite differently. And uh, and you know there's there are organizations like the Innocence Project that reviews convictions sometimes and looks for situations in which. Things weren't done uh, correctly, and they found a number of such instances in various offices, including in the Harry Connick administration. Uh, very, but a very small handful of cases in which the, the folks were actually determined to be exonerated. I think four, and it depends how you look at it. Uh, the uh, a lot of criticism here saying that he, uh, you know, these are situations where his office trampled people's rights. Uh, a lot of the folks who were Jail uh, were minority groups, although those probably were valid convictions. No one's saying they're not, but it's it's considered in retrospect, you know, uh, retrograde. Uh, and um, it's interesting. It's The interesting thing to me is Harry Connick Sr.'s reaction to all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, his reaction to the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg Supreme Court opinion was, um, see, I don't read Supreme Court opinions, what he said. Uh, I don't have time and I don't have reason to read Supreme Court opinions. The truth is I run a very large office. Now, again, let me caveat. No one ever accused Harry Connick of being racist Mm. at all. Never. They say quite the opposite. But he says the question is whether his office was run too loosely such that some people were bad actors. And he said, look, I have over 200 lawyers working for me. I have many more cases going on at the same time. I You know, we're trying to get something done. If there's going to be, you know, some things that go off the rails or mistakes, I guess that's, that goes with the territory. It's like he literally says, no one talks to Hank Aaron and says, you know, I know you hit 700 runs, but you struck out 135 times. He said, That's not the way the world works. It's not the way my office works. And it, you can understand him saying that. On the other hand, this is different than striking out. You have well, the death guy, They have the yeah. guy in death row for 14 yeah. years. So you can see both sides of it. You can see both sides of it. And, uh, but his, he was unrepentant. So he's, he's kind of a very interesting figure. And that is uh, Harry Connick Jr.'s uh, dad. And it's funny, this cute picture of him much younger. And you see him with his two kids. And you see that those two little eyes peeking out behind Harry Connick Sr. And that's Harry Connick Jr. Looks a little like him. Okay, that's all we've got. Um, and uh, until right. uh, next week.
0: Yeah, we'll be busy getting ready for Love You, Airy. Love you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
2: okay. This is Tamsin one. Granger and Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. We'll see you next week.